guys, welcome back to episode 24 of the Abnormal and Paranormal podcast. I'm Michael and today it is just going to be me, Michael. Joe was meant to be here um, and he got scheduled into work at the last minute, so he's not actually going to be here today, so he'll join us back next week. And the episode I was going to do with him, I'll say for next week as well. Um, but this week what I thought we'd do is just go through a few stories that have been submitted to us by you guys that have been banking up for a day just like this one. Um, so I'm going to go through those now with you. Before I do that, the business, you can get in touch with us via email on abnormalandparanormalpodcast at outlook.com and through Instagram and TikTok at abnormalandparanormalpodcast. So what I'm going to do today is go through each story, give my opinions at the end of each one and just move through them. It'll be a shorter episode than normal, but I'm sure we'll have just as much of a good time. So story one, guys, is called Little Hands. I've never lived in a haunted house, but my mum did as a teen. Other houses on her street had strange things going on too. A few homes away from her lived a family. One night the daughter went to bed with a bad headache. The next day she was dead. She had passed away from an aneurysm. After her funeral, the family went away to get their minds off the tragedy and a father asked my uncle, my mum's brother, to check on their pets. My mum and dad, who were dating at the time, went with him. My mother had heard there was a grand piano and she wanted to play it. My dad was studying to be a veterinarian. After entering the house, my uncle and my father headed to the basement to see the animals and my mother went to the piano on the ground floor. She was playing it when she felt something brush her ankles. She thought a cat must have left the basement and walked past her. She kept playing and then she felt it again. She looked under the piano and saw nothing. When she started again, she felt hands clasp her legs tightly. She dashed to the basement door called my uncle and father and waited for them. Back outside, my uncle could tell my mum was rattled and asked what was wrong. She told him what had happened and he turned white. He told her the daughter who had died used to play a game with her father. When he played the piano, she'd crawl underneath, grab his ankles and push his feet up and down on the pedals. Oh, guys, that's story one. These are the kind of things that actually give me the chills. Like... If it was an animal, like in my head, if it was an animal, it's kind of like, okay, I wouldn't be as freaked out, I don't think, if I knew it was a cat or a dog that had passed on. But the fact it's like oh, a human crouching under a piano, grabbing at your ankles, just gives me the absolute shivers. Like, I don't know what it is about humans being scary than animal ghosts. I don't think I'd be freaked out if I saw a dead dog or a dead cat, like a ghost of one, at all. Like, for me the whole human aspect is more intentional. Like it just freaks me out so much more. And it's the little things like that where it's more subtle and less like less over the top that actually really freaks me out. Like little subtle things like being touched or being tickled or just catching something at the corner of your eye. But the fact you've been touched at all, like that, that next level, that contact is just like another level of not okayness. And I would be out of there like a flash. So thank you so much for that story. Story two I have called the Phantom Patient. The ambulance company I used to work for had a haunted ambulance, Rig 12. A lot of EMTs had stories about it, but I never put much stock in paranormal stuff. That is until I had my own experience with Rig 12. My partner and I were working in a rural community at 3am. It was pitch dark and completely quiet. We were both dozing. I was in the driver's seat and she was in the passenger seat. I woke up to a muffled voice, but I thought my partner was talking. 
I told her I was trying to sleep and close my eyes. I distinctly heard a male voice say, Oh my God, am I dying? Followed by a few seconds of heavy breathing. My partner and I sat up and looked straight into the patient compartment where it sounded like the voice had come from. Things were quiet for a couple of seconds. Then we heard the click of an oxygen bottle and a hiss as if it was leaking. I turned on the lights and we ran out of the rig. I thought a transient might have climbed in there whilst we were asleep as we opened the rear doors. No one was there. I checked the oxygen bottles and neither were opened. We didn't sleep much after that. Well, not surprised. Again, hearing a voice is just as scary, if not more so, than like feeling something. Like for me, just seeing a ghost is one thing. That would be terrifying. But to hear it or feel it is like another level of just like intent and it's like just too much. Especially being in a hospital, like an ambulance, like you can imagine there's a lot of trauma traps in that ambulance, amount of stuff that must go on, things they might see and the kind of situations that would go down. It's not surprising that there's some trapped sort of residual energy. And to hear somebody, you know, oh my God, am I dying? Is something that I'm not really surprised to hear. Like obviously if you're passing away, I can't imagine that you're going to be okay with it straight away. You're going to have your head wrapped around it. So you probably are in shock and you're confused. The oxygen bottle hissing at noise is just another level again. The oxygen tank was completely fine. There was nobody in the back of the ambulance. It's just like, it's the little things, you know. Again, great story. Thank you for sending that one in to us. So story three, guys. My neighbour Diane and I had a playful poltergeist for years and we called it Billy. Okay, first of all, let's not be naming ghosts. Let's not encourage these things to be lingering around, giving them pet names. This would actually like, if I had a ghost in my house, I, when I was younger, I had a dream, like a recurring dream. I think I said this in episode one. And I have a ghost, I get out of bed, I go to the top of the stairs and just shout, oh, ghosty, you can come out now. And the cupboard door would open on its own and then just slam shut and I'd run back into bed. And then I'd wake up. But even calling it ghosty and giving it a pet name just made it sound so sinister. So calling a poltergeist Billy and letting it like, Oh, no, just absolutely no. I'd come home and find something put in a weird place. Milk in a cupboard, toilet paper in the fridge, laundry detergent in the bathtub. Diane once called to ask if Billy had been around because she couldn't find a gallon of milk. We finally found it outside on her back steps. And sugar. Every morning, my sugar bowl was empty. When I'd had enough, I would point to Diane's home and Jill, go see Diane. Within five minutes, I'd get a call from her. Thanks a lot, she'd say. He'd gone and pulled shenanigans at her place. This occurred for the entire two years we lived there. No one believed us, not even our husbands. My mum thought someone was stealing from us when we were sleeping or out of the house. And my sister believed something was going on, but didn't know what. I still can't explain any of it. Like, this is what I mean. You're naming this thing and playing games with it, sending it to other houses. It's playing games, hiding stuff. Almost like, I guess it's like, in a, like a jokey way and it's not sinister or like trying to scare you. But if, if you encourage this stuff, like it just amplifies so quick and you don't really know what it is you're playing with. Like this might seem like a nice innocent spirit and it's just moving some sugar or some milk or some toilet roll or some detergent. But it's like not much between that. And it moved it like a knife block or something. Like, I don't know. I just think, don't poke the bear. Like, if you've got a ghost and it's not going anywhere, 
obviously respect it and let it let it do its thing. But don't encourage this kind of stuff, you know. And it's mad that it was been sent to her friend's house across the street and she'd call in five minutes saying, oh, thanks a lot. Like, she obviously said it had gone down straight away. And it's also weird to me to think of ghosts sort of transiently sort of going from one place to another. Like, in my head, they would stay in a specific room or a specific building. I've never really thought about them going, like, to other other parts of the, the street or another area. Which I guess, why couldn't they? If they've passed on to another realm and they're able to come back from that realm to this realm to that specific spot, what's to stop them from going from that spot to another? I guess it kind of comes down to what you believe happens when you do die. Like I believe you go on to another realm um, and you can hop back if you wanted to in another form. Your energy's still here. Your energy's resided here for years. You've been living here for years. And if your energy dies, so I feel like you can sort of slip back into this sort of frequency almost and you can sort of visit loved ones or visit areas that you used to be familiar with but never really thought about it from like visiting across the street and stuff right weird so next story guys one night when i was 10 i was woken up by my bedroom door opening followed by someone sitting on my bed i felt my leg grazed and the bed sink under a person's weight it's just mum, i thought and i opened my eyes It was not my mum. I found an eyeless boy. He had black, empty sockets about my age sitting at the foot of my bed. He extended his hand and in it was a little box. I was startled but reached out. He pulled back. I reached again and said give it. Then I blinked. And when I reopened my eyes, he was gone. But I could still see the imprint where he'd sat on my bed. Fast forward five years My girlfriend came over to do homework. After she finished, she took a nap while she waited for her parents. When they arrived, I tried waking her up. She opened her eyes suddenly, looking up at a corner where the wall met the ceiling. She pointed there and went back to sleep. I shook her again. She came to full consciousness and I explained what she'd done. She looked haunted. Up on the wall, I saw a little boy with no eyes. He was there, in a Spider-Man pose, staring at me. I freaked out and told her my story about the same kid. Fast forward another five years, I was with the same girlfriend, and we had a two-year-old. We were living in my parents' house in my old room. My daughter started waking up at the same time every night, and she'd talk after a while. I noticed she had almost the same conversation every night. I playfully asked her once whom she was talking to. She said, it's a little boy. He's nice. He's lost and he's looking for his mum. My daughter's nightly conversations continued until we got our own place later that year. Guys, two things in this that give me the absolute shits. One is the image of an eyeless boy with black sockets just looking at you on the end of your bed. Like, actually, fuck that. That image in my head is just in prints. Like, it gives me chills just thinking about it. Like, I'm sat in my room now doing this. And I can just, I feel like I'm constantly just look around me and I'm nervous. I feel so uneasy. Like, it's such a horrible, horrible image. Like, what is it about that? Like, it's just so, like, otherworldly. Not human, right? Like, really just disgusting. But couple that with seeing him in a Spider-Man pose up in the corner of the ceiling. A lot of time people say, like, you see demonic stuff or evil spirits up in the corners of rooms and the ceiling's looking down. And even saying this now, I've got goosebumps. All the hairs on my arms are still on end. Like, it actually terrifies me. Like, just that image. Waking up in the night, 
looking up into the corner and seeing his dark mass in a, a Spider Man pose. Come on. That is actually disgusting. That makes me feel like physically ill, like literally goosebumps. And it just obviously was residual in his room. It didn't go anywhere. Like he saw it, his girlfriend saw it. Like five years later, we've got a two year old, that's she or he saw it. Like this kind of stuff obviously is trapped in this room. But it didn't sound like it was human. So it's weird that it's staying in one spot. If it was like a evil, like a malicious spirit, which was never like on human form, why is it stuck in that one room? If it was almost stuck to him, I'd, I'd understand why he's latched onto somebody specific because he'd follow them around. But this stuff seemed to only happen in that one space. So <clears throat> in my head, it's haunting the space, not him, but it's weird that an evil spirit would, would do that because it doesn't sound like it's a human. And what's with the little box at the beginning? Like, honestly, like, I wish you could just grab it and open it and see what's in there. But then at the same time, do you really want to be risking him giving you a gift and you being in his debt and something, you know, going down? Probably not. It's probably a good job he didn't grab that. Okay, next story, guys. Here is a story that dates back to 1910, but almost any student at Huntington College in Montgomery, Alabama should recognise it. That's because the events that led up to it are said to have actually happened. As the story goes, in 1910, a young woman who was new to the school was known for her love of the colour red. Sadly, she was also known for being strange and a loner. As the first term got underway, the young woman grew increasingly isolated. Eventually, she took her life by slashing her wrists. Her body was discovered in a red gown drenched in blood. From then on, students and faculty have been reporting sightings of a young woman dressed all in red. She's appeared all around the college's campus. The figure dwelling in perpetual isolation is often cited as a reminder of the importance of being kind to one's peers. So this is like an urban legend, right? Like a creepypasta kind of thing, like... It's kind of like a classic ghost story, red dress, doused in blood, like, mm, if there's sightings of it as well from faculty and students, that's more like legit. I can't imagine faculty would make that kind of stuff up. And I guess if you are, it is a nice message at the end, I guess, like the importance of just being nice to each other and looking out for each other. And the poor girl, if that is a true story, then that's terrible that she felt the need to do that and felt like she was so isolated and lonely. And you never know when someone's feeling like that. So even just a kind word sometimes, if you see somebody's down, just a kind word or just a compliment just to boost them can make all the difference. So next story, guys. Huntington College is just one of the many haunted colleges in America, each with its own ghost stories. The next true tale comes from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. The haunting happened in 1972 at a party hosted by University of Michigan students living on Ashley Street. A 15-year-old girl, who probably had no business being there in the first place, suddenly felt a strange, bone-chilling cold. In an attempt to warm up, she went upstairs because heat rises, we guess, and that's when things really went awry. One of the walls of the house started moving, and a black shadow approached a girl. Meanwhile, downstairs, posters were spontaneously popping off the walls and falling into a growing pile on the floor. Okay, guys, all I'm getting from this is like that scene in Harry Potter when all the posters and the envelopes come flying through and like just everywhere. That's like the visual I'm getting from this. <laughs> the girl wandered back downstairs where she found herself saying these strange words. 
the drugs and addiction were my fault and I accept responsibility for that but I was not that way deep down inside. I want to apologise to everyone involved for what I have done. What made those words even stranger was that the girl did not do drugs, let alone have an addiction. Her words didn't seem all that strange to the students who lived in the house. Before they moved in, the house had been inhabited by a man with a very serious addiction. The reason he no longer lived there, he had died of a heroin overdose. Has the ghost of Ashley Street made any more appearances? That remains a mystery. Okay, that's sad. So guys, some guys lived there. He's a heroin addict. Passed away. His girl felt a chill, went upstairs and come back reciting this little speech about the drugs. Obviously, he's trying to pass a message on who he feels guilty or wants to try and clear his name, perhaps. You know, the drugs and addiction were my fault. I accept responsibility for it. But I wasn't that way deep down inside. You know, you're an addict. That's not what you want to be doing. You're doing it because you're addicted. It's, it's, it's an addiction. Like doesn't define you as a person. And he wants to apologise to everyone involved for what he done. It doesn't say what he done, but I'm guessing he obviously was an addict, so maybe he was stealing from people, maybe he was just a nasty person to be around because he was just constantly on uppers and downers all the time. Uh, that's a sad story. Okay, so the next story, guys, is called The Ghost of Frederick Jordan. This real-life ghost story concerns a man named Frederick Jordan who held one of the most lonely and desolate jobs in existence. Jordan was the lighthouse keeper for Penfield Reef Lighthouse off the coast of Fairfield, Connecticut. Built in 1874, the lighthouse was primarily a way of warning ships of a treacherous hidden reef responsible for more than its fair share of harbour accidents. In 1916, Frederick Jordan was the head lighthouse keeper Tragically, he drowned in a boating accident just before Christmas 1916, when he was caught in a gale while rowing home to see his family. Ever since then, lighting and equipment malfunctions in the lighthouse have been blamed on Jordan's spiritual presence. But even more chilling is that keepers of the Penfield Reef Lighthouse often find the lighthouse logbook open to the day Jordan died. And locals have recounted witnessing an unidentifiable figure appearing on the water to help stray boats find their way to safety near the reef. Oh, that's sad. I mean, obviously, it's a short story. He died there, and obviously still resides there, the logbook being kept open, and on the day he died, like a reminder that he was there. I mean, it is a very lonely job. I couldn't imagine being stuck in a lighthouse on your own. It must be so isolating, especially in them days, up like before internet and so on. Like, you're just there on your own. You've got no way of contacting anybody. And if you want to get off that little island or little spit of land that he was on, you've got to row. And he's rowing through a storm, like, clearly not a smart move. Um, but yeah, it's sad that he resides there. Maybe he was happy there. Maybe he liked being there. Some people like the isolation. And that's probably why he stayed. But just a little reminder, you know, the logbook keeps opening on the day he died. is sad. Okay, guys, the final story today is called The Ghost Who Came to Play. This true ghost story might strike you more R than eek. But only until you consider that we really have no idea what our four-legged friends can sense that we cannot. Can dogs see ghosts? Well, there are plenty of dog experts out there, including veterinarians, who will attest to the fact that there are lots of documentation that could support the notion that dogs can sense paranormal activity. Ask Jesus Aramendi, DVM, a senior veterinarian for Chewy. And then there's the fact that this story came to Reader's Digest directly from a well-known psychic medium, Christy Robinette who has a strong record for using her ghost-whispering stills to help detectives solve confounding cases. Marlene settled onto her side on the bed and patted Jack's pillow beside her, 
Robinette told Reader's Digest. A year had gone by, but Marlene was still adjusting to widowhood. Maybe it was crazy to think that after 40 years of marriage she would never adjust. Elma, the golden retriever, seemed to understand this from the very first. That cold, moonless night when Marlene returned alone from the hospital, Elmer did something he'd never done before. He jumped up onto Jack's bedside and lay his head on the pillow. Jack would never have allowed it, Robinette pointed out, but Marlene didn't shoo him off. Instead, she lay down beside Elmo and let the peaceful sound of his snoring lull her to sleep. The next night was the same, and the night after that. Over the past year, it had grown into a comforting routine, but not tonight. Tonight was the first time Elmer had left Marlene alone in the bed since Jack's passing. But hearing nails clicking on the wood downstairs, Marlene recognised the sound of Elmer's requesting outsees with a sigh. Marlene made her way down the stairs to the foyer, but Elmer wasn't pacing in front of the big oak door. Rather, he was dancing and wagging and wiggling and bowing, just like he used to when Jack came home from work. To Marlene, it felt as if Jack had just come home and Robinette, who is known for a remarkable intuition about these things, believed that this indeed is what happened. Okay, that's a really nice story to leave that on. Obviously, the dog got excited that the owner, Jack, had come back and visited. He was excited. And obviously, the dog kind of knew that Jack had passed on from the very beginning. Like it said, from the very first night that Marlene came home, he slept on the bed next to her to keep her company. And I'm such a believer that spirits and animals can hear and see stuff that we can't. I was having this chat with Joe before about spirits. I was just like, look, who's to say that humans are us have been conditioned to phase out certain things and to block out certain stuff? Like you do with traumatic experiences, you can go and block out and just have real gaps in your memory. And what's to say that as humans, we've kind of conditioned ourselves to phase this stuff out as kids, kids see things all the time, right? And it slowly sort of disappears as you get older. Like a coping mechanism, I think. But obviously, dogs and cats can't teach each other that. So they're just seeing this stuff at normal. And I really believe they do. Like if I have two cats, Max and Milo, and if I ever look at something in the corner, they're both la- and they both latch on to the same thing at the same time, I completely get it. It could be a fly or a spider on the wall. When I'm turning around, looking where they're looking at, like in the ceiling or in the corner of a room, like there is nothing there. And as I've just said that, I just flash back to the story from earlier with the guy in a Spider-Man pose in the corner of the room and that's actually just giving me fucking creeps. Oh, Next time I see my cats doing that, I'm getting out of that room. But yeah, I believe cats and animals can do that. I believe kids can see stuff as well. And it kind of goes back to like sleep paralysis for me. When you wake up in sleep paralysis, clearly your brain still thinks you're asleep, so it's not applying any of these filters over reality that we've conditioned ourselves to believe. And my thought is in sleep paralysis, you wake up and that's why you're seeing shadow people. You're seeing these ugly, hacky people over the bed, leering down at you, just things in the room around you because your body's not awake. Your brain's not awake. Well, your body's awake, your brain's not. And it's not filtering out this kind of stuff. And that's my perception of it. And I think if you start to allow yourself to like, believe this stuff and let it in, you'll start seeing things like ghosts and spirits. And a hundred, hundred percent believe that pets do do this. Um, and in this case, clearly, like the timings are just so odd. Like, the fact Jack wasn't there, the dog started laying on the bed. And yes, I know Joe could say us because he wasn't there. The man wasn't there, so he took his chances. The dog and just laid on the bed. But he's never tried it before. 
and then she went downstairs to see the dog and it was all excited wagging its tail bowing and acting like it would do when Jack came home from work I mean it could just be a coincidence could just be excited over nothing but I mean you know the one night he's not sleeping in the bed and he's downstairs playing with what would have been his previous owner the way he used to play with him for me, there's just something in it, and I believe this kind of stuff. And it's the subtle things like this. You can't prove everything with science or facts, and sometimes you've got to just trust things. And this kind of behaviour, especially from a dog that's got no reason to make this kind of shit up, like, for me, absolutely legit. Believe it 100%. I know Joe wouldn't. I do. But what a great place to end it. But thank you so much for joining us this week, guys. Joe's really sorry you couldn't be here. He was gutted to miss out today. But he's back next week as normal. I've saved the episode for next week, so we'll carry on from there. Thank you to the readers, um, the readers, the listeners who submitted some stories. Some are from listener submissions and some are just from um, articles in line that I found just to, to bulk it out. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much. We love you so much. Thank you for all the feedback and the emails we get from you guys. We both will see all of you guys next week. Take care, guys. Mm-hmm.